Hello and welcome. I'm George Crump, Lead Analyst with Storage Switzerland. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, today we're going to be talking about data management uh, and GDPR and data privacy. Uh, and specifically, we're going to focus in on how to solve the right-to-be-forgotten problem, which is something that um, uh, I think comes up a lot in, in these conversations. Uh, specifically, there's components of these regulations that allow users to request that they be removed, and that creates a particular problem when we talk about uh, backups and archives and things like that. Uh, joining me on the uh, webinar is uh, Vicki Gray. Vicki is with Operavi. Uh, Vicki, thanks for joining us today. Sure. Good to talk to you, George. Glad to have you. Hey, uh, before we jump too far in, in, the, in the presentation, you want to give a, a quick uh, 30 seconds on what Operavi does? Absolutely. Okay. Um, happy to be here to be talking about GDPR and data privacy. Um, that is actually something that, that uh, you know, we can address, but it's not the primary um, focus of what brought us to, to market. So Operavi is um, intelligent uh, multi-cloud data management, which can index, classify, retain, and retrieve uh, data, unstructured data for long-term retention and everything that goes around that. And of course, I'll be talking a lot more about it, but that's, that's the... The short answer. Okay. So basically, how to find all the stuff that you've been keeping. Yes, right. And as we talk to people, um, and you were just telling me this the other day, how many people keep everything, right? Um, there's just exactly. a ton of, yeah. of clients out there that never get rid of anything. Well, how do you organize that and retain it and uh, for all kinds of reasons uh, and then find it when you need it? We solve that exactly. problem. Awesome. All right, so let's kind of jump into the uh, meat of the presentation here. The, I think the big thing that I like to get across, uh, Vicki, is, is this is just not uniquely a European problem, right? That, that we're, we're seeing these um, uh, types of – there's a couple things that I'm seeing happen. Number one, the awareness on the part of the consumer, I think, is increasing um, exponentially just on – I think we've all been kind of a little bit naive and – uh, uh, just assume that people would do the right things with our data and things like that. And as we're seeing, you know, it, se it seems like Facebook gets hammered every other day for doing something wrong. Uh, and so I, I think that just from a consumer perspective, we're starting to see uh, people become really in tune um, to uh, their data and data privacy. And then, of course, I think organizations are beginning to understand really the value uh, of the asset and being able to make sure it's protected and like you said, you know, be able to find that stuff. Are you guys seeing similar uh, type of awareness? Um, we are. And as you know, we're a California company. And so uh, it's become front of mind in, in California just recently because of the California Consumer Privacy Act that you, that you mentioned here. There's just over a year before that goes into effect. But um, it mirrors a lot of what GDPR does. And I understand that even in Congress, there's some discussion about um, implementing some, uh, there's some legislation working its way through that, that may do a similar thing. So even though it's at the moment GDPR is, is in Europe, I think a lot of the world is looking at that and thinking of implementing similar things, just like California ha already has. Yeah, I, and I had a, a friend of mine who's uh, um, based in uh, Germany, actually, uh, kind of teasingly said to me, look, and, and in, at least in Europe, it's 
these cases are going to be settled by essentially professional judges. Uh, in, in the states, it's going to be settled by a jury of your peers, and that could, that could be a, a scary thought, you know, if you if you think about it, right? So it's uh, it, it, it's I, I think actually the pressure in the U.S. will actually end up being harder, um, and especially if we end up with uh, if we don't have a federal legislation. Imagine having 50 states with 50 translations of what data privacy means. It could be <laughs> that could be a real mess. Yeah, that could be a real mess. And it, actually, isn't it interesting that California is the first state to implement this, and it's the home of Google and Facebook and you know a lot of the others that have been in the news around this issue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I, I think clearly there's, we, we as an IT industry have to really take this seriously and really have to get our arms around it. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, sort of the, what this is really about. And, and you know, it's interesting, um, as I started to research a couple of years ago now, um, GDPR and what it really meant, you know, my, you, you've known me a long time and I, I sort of have a, uh, a, a resistance toward uh, uh, anything to do with the government, and I, I expected the worst. And, and I've got to tell you that, you know, GDPR, I mean, there's some language I wish they would tighten up and, like, explain what uh, in a timely manner means and stuff like that. But really, as a first pass, it, it's actually a pretty decent regulation. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not crazy talk. It's, it's, it's really just good data management. What, what are your thoughts? Um, well, as you and I were talking just recently, both of us have been around the data protection world for more years than we want to admit. Um, and I, I, I think this is, um, you know, a reasonable expectation. Um, I think that, uh, as we're going to talk about, a number of the companies are going to struggle or a number of the vendors are going to struggle to actually deliver against the, the challenge, but, um, particularly with a, what's been in the news, it's a reasonable reaction to what's happened with people's data. Uh, so all of us in the, as you say, all of us in the IT world have, have got to get our acts together to be able to um, deliver what, uh, you know, people are demanding. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think if we look at, if you kind of, if you really were to boil any of this stuff down, it, it, and this was my reaction when I first read the, the GDPR uh, document, is it really this is just good solid data management if if you had been doing you know good solid data management best practices um, that we've been in place for years you, you could be in a good position to follow this I, I I think the challenge is now some of these aspects of this regulation or these regulations uh, really change the focus right it, it 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 will change the way we protect data. Uh, and will also change the way we retain data. And, and so I think that those two aspects are worth exploring a little bit, uh, specifically retention, because retention is interesting to me. I, you know, uh, Vicki, you and I were talking yesterday. I recently gave a, a, a talk on this exact subject, and there was about 45 people or so in the room, and I asked um, how many people retain their backup data for more than five years, and every hand in the room went up. And and I don't think that's unusual. I think that a lot of people count on backup as retention, and I think as we'll talk about that, that might not be a good idea anymore. You need or you need a really really smart uh, data protection product uh, to be able to pull this off. And so I, I think if you look at a data retention policy, what we've always focused on there 
was really from an IT aspect. It was uh, how long are, is, is the organization going to uh, store data, uh, and then what is a uh, justifiable uh, deletion of data. Uh, I think to what you just said, that you know what we see increasingly is that data is uh, considered an, increasingly considered an asset, and people now want to keep it for either a very long time or forever, which also loosely translates into a very long time. And, and, and you know, like like you said, we've been around the, the data protection space for a, a while. I, I, is that a trend you're seeing as well that people just are retaining data? And the default policy to me now basically says don't delete it ever. Yeah, well, I, yes, and as long as I've been doing this, <clears throat> whenever I ask a, an audience um, or, or individual customers uh, how long they keep their data, it always shocked me how many of them said all data forever. It's um, a huge trend. And I think that years ago when your volume of unstructured data, and we haven't really gotten into that yet, but when the, when the um, amount of unstructured data was a, a much smaller part of your overall data, um, you could try and use backup for retention. Uh, it, 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 was, it wasn't as much of a stretch as it is today. But if you look at today's world, with a huge amount of unstructured data vastly um, taking over the, the total amount, uh, it's, it's just untenable to, to try and use backup for long-term data retention as well. But yeah, people exactly. are still trying totally, to do it. Yep, and I totally agree with you. I, I think that last bullet is really important too, is that GD, GDPR requires us to protect data, retain it, and also remove it. And, and the problem is, is that we typically uh, are guilty in the industry of treating those three words as uh, three separate processes, right? That we would protect one way, we would retain another way, and then we would uh, remove a, a third way. And, and what if you really kind of read what GDPR and these other data privacy laws are really communicating is what they're asking for will require um, either an integration uh, of those processes or at least a high level of communication uh, between the processes. And I think, you know, you alluded to this earlier, I think a lot of vendors um, are really going to struggle in pulling those three aspects together. What are your thoughts there? Uh, well, I, I know you're going to jump into this a little bit more about the, the challenges of um, a lot of the legacy architectures in, in backup to be able to, to do this. And it, it illustrates why you actually have to think about this and your long-term retention of unstructured data in a different format, in a different way, <clears throat> because you won't be able to meet the requirements, some of the requirements in GDPR um, using your, your classic uh, backup architectures. So let's exactly. let's get into that, George. Okay. So I, I think the big problem, because um, the slide said so, um, is <laughs> is the right to be forgotten. Uh, and, and so what I so let me kind of explain to the to the, our viewers what we're talking about there. So uh, under GDPR, um, in a uh, let's just say John Smith can call up. And, and say, you know, I'd like you to remove all my data from your system. And then you have to respond to that request uh, in a timely manner. Now, now, this is an area where I think there's some, uh, we, we need some case law, frankly, 
to understand what, what um, is meant by timely manner and what we mean by all data. Because at least I'm reading the law to say all data means all data. Uh, other people uh, who are particularly damaged by this are reading the law to say all data doesn't mean, for example, data on tapes, which I can't figure out where they come up with that. Um, but I'm not a lawyer. What's interesting about this is um, it nullifies user agreements. Almost everybody, you know, well, there's many user agreements that, that you probably agree to that have never, that you haven't read. And, and this, for all intents and purposes, gives you the ability to nullify that agreement and force the organization to remove the data. So it's kind of an interesting aspect. Um, and what's interesting is um, my translation of this is the removal doesn't have to be instantaneous, meaning that John Smith calls up and 30 seconds later all his data is gone. But it does have to, the, the phrase is timely manner, which isn't clearly defined. Uh, but I think we can agree it's not six months uh, and it's not 60 seconds. Uh, it, it's probably, uh, I, I think if you have a policy that says uh, a week or, or a day or something like that, I think that's generally considered reasonable. Um, and so I think that that's areas where this really becomes a challenge as we start to explore what the impact is uh, from a backup perspective, right? So I have some of those examples there. So if you think about this, so uh, put yourself in the position of a um, an administrator uh, receiving this uh, request, and you you can, you know, depending on how you use John Smith's data and what of his data you stored, it's generally easy to remove it from primary stores. There's plenty of tools out there that, that would uh, search uh, for that. It is important that that would be a step, a separate step, though. Um, it's also, I'm going to skip to the last bullet. It, it, it's relatively straightforward to remove it from an archive because archives generally are set up and tagged and we can do things uh, there. Um, but the real problem is, and where we've seen a lot of discussion around, is it's really hard to remove it from a backup. Um, you know, uh, Vicki, as we've said a couple of times now, uh, you and I have uh, a pretty good history in, in the whole backup space. And backups have always been sort of these um, job-driven uh, Neanderthals. And so data isn't stored um, in a way that's really logical to a human, right? They're, they're, they're stored, here's what I backed up Saturday night, here's what I backed up Sunday night, here's what I backed up Monday night. And the ability to search across all of those different uh, jobs uh, becomes more difficult the older the job gets, right? Well, and <clears throat> just think about all the, um, you know, for anybody who's still using tape, and there's a lot, think about all yeah. your off-site tapes. How do you search those, right? It's a very yeah. cumbersome procedure. Yeah, well, and you and I, at the company we actually met at, I, I can remember uh, uh, that we would advise customers to um, kind of prune their data the, the metadata that was being tracked after a period of time to save storage space because the database, yep. the metadata database got so big, right? And so if you're, and those things still exist, and so you're actually making it more difficult because there's also no time limit on when John Smith can call you up. If John Smith calls you up eight years from now and wants all of his eight years of data removed, as I read the regulation, you have to comply and so imagine trying to find John Smith data from eight years ago. 
It's just going to be very, and very you difficult. Have to, and you have to show, right? You have to show that you actually did do it. Yes, yes. And that's that's kind of an interesting thing to me. How do you prove that you did something that no longer exists, right? <laughs> it's like, you know, so it, it becomes a real challenge, right? You proving Proving that something didn't happen is much harder than proving that something <laughs> did happen, right? So, um, um, so, so if you look at it again, we, we kind of touched on this. Is most organizations count on backup for data retention? And so I'll ask uh, you that are viewing this: Is how long are you keeping your backup data? And if you think about it, just purely from a backup process, uh, we can hit you with uh, survey after survey that shows that 80 to 90 percent of restore requests come from either the most recent or the next most recent uh, backup. The, the amount of times you actually pull data from a backup that's uh, three or four years old is almost uh, immeasurable, right? So it, it, I think part of it is to kind of just rethink that part of the process. Um, and, you know, Vicki, you touched on this uh, earlier, and this, I think, really gets to the where this becomes uh, really difficult. In, in the in the 90s, when we had a file server, uh, you know, we, we were on the lookout for file servers with hundreds of thousands of files because it would take a while to back them up and because all backups at that time were um, file by file. The unstructured data growth, where now it's incredibly common to see a file server with a million files on it, uh, and, you know, certainly we have, especially in um, uh, big data and IoT environments, we have uh, servers that are pushing a billion files. Um, the, the, that unstructured data growth uh, has led most backup vendors, I would say at this point, to do something called a image level backup, right? And so an, in, in an image level backup, what we're doing is essentially saying, look, I'm not going to inspect what's in the volume. I'm just going to back up the volume, and I'm going to look for blocks of data that are changing and just pull those blocks over. So the – and that creates a problem when we go to look – for data right now. Now, most of these vendors that have, I'd say in fact, today I'd probably say comfortably all of them, have the ability to do a single file restore. Um, but in almost every case, you have to know exactly what backup job, there's that word again, contains the file you're looking for. It's very difficult to say, give me this version of this file and let me know what jobs hold it. And most, uh, at least uh, that I know of, applications uh, can't do that. And so this, this unstructured data growth is really, um, it's not really necessarily the source of the problem, Vicki, but it's really compounding uh, the situation as far as being able to find and identify this data, right? Yes, it is. And in, in fact, what um, we've, been, we've been seeing, besides the, the millions and millions of files, of, uh, you know, need, eat, millions and millions of discrete files, each which needs to be, you know, handled and managed, um, the, like you say, the, the unstructured data growth is unbelievable. So back when, in the early days when, when you and I were doing this, our structured data uh, typically would represent three quarters or more of the overall data. And most IT managers had a fairly flippant attitude towards the unstructured data. Like, oh, that's just user yeah. data. Remember that? Um, that's, yes. that's flipped on its head now, and it's uh, uh, most of the analysts are proje projecting that unstructured data within just a, a, a few years here is going to represent 90% or more of all the data out there, and organizations have already come to recognize 
that unstructured data has huge value, right? It's not just the just your office documents, but video files, audio files, anything else um, for a variety of reasons, not just compliance, but you know, company history, business intelligence. There's a, there's a huge amount of value there. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you know, that's a really interesting point. If you think about like in the 90s and even early 2000s, when we talked about data protection, it was how fast can I back up Oracle, right? Uh, I, I've now given presentations in this decade where I say, look, if you're backing up Oracle, if you're counting on your backup of your Oracle database as your primary recovery thing, you're doing it wrong, right? We're, we're in most of these applications, we're doing something else, right? And so actually data protection now should be much more focused on unstructured data because that's the stuff that um, it, it really can manage and, and uh, maintain, right? Now, I'm not saying, by the way, I, I did officially say don't back up your Oracle data, but it should be less of a, you know, if you're, if you're going to your backup to re recover your Oracle environment, it's because something really, really bad has happened to replication and high availability that you might have in the situation. The other, the other trend that we're tracking, Vicki, which is kind of interesting, is the, the, the we, we saw a group of vendors uh, come to market, let's say, from 2005 to 2012-ish that were focused typically on a particular environment, like maybe VMware or, uh, or NoSQL or something like that. And, and what's interesting there we see is that the metadata that these guys track is actually less um, – has less value or less detail than the, the kind of the really old guard guys that used to have to manage tapes and things like that. And so the, the semi-modern solutions, I guess I would call them, uh, have actually gotten worse at the metadata they track. So this all becomes a real problem when we go to recover uh, information and, and fulfill that, hey, John Smith just called up, how do I get his data back? So <clears throat> we're going to talk about two solutions that we hear a lot, and I'm using solutions in air quotes, but uh, that we hear a lot from uh, vendors. And um, I, I think functionally they work to some level. I think there's no guarantee that they meet um, the, uh, the letter of the law, so to speak, in GDPR. There's some assumptions that uh, they will. So let's first talk about the Leon Restore. Um, so what we're talking about here is the ability to, uh, when, it, when a, a restore request comes in, you keep a, a list of people that have been forgotten. As the restore is occurring, you're comparing to that list to see if that person's on that list. If the person's on the list, you essentially restore to device null or don't, don't restore at all. And then if they are not on that list, then you go ahead and restore as normal. Now, the, the problem that we see with this is a couple things. First of all, there, there is no clarification on whether or not you are, have the right to keep a list. There is some language in these regulations that say that you can uh, maintain some data to protect the business. So the assumption is uh, that that list would be okay. I, I, and I would tend to agree with that because I think it's hard to uh, – I think it's hard to come up with a way to prove that you've deleted somebody if you don't have a record that they ever requested to be deleted. So I, I think that I think there's some legitimacy there, but clearly there is no case law at this point, anyways, to uh, be totally clear on that. 
probably the bigger thing that I'd be concerned here, um, you know, and Vicki, we've always talked about speed of restore and how important it is. Boy, you know, in, inserting, and I think the, the vendors that talk about this aren't thinking about what we're talking about. The, the couple of companies that we have worked with um, that specifically were dealing with GDPR issues are, are tracking thousands, not dozens, but thousands of users that have requested to be removed, right? And so what that means on the recovery process is for every single one, you're going to have to do this check a, a thousand times. And my assumption would be that's just going to um, crush backup recovery times, right? Well, and I mean, think about it. People, you back up at leisure and you restore in a panic. So <laughs> good work. That's, yeah, good uh, yeah, that's highly problematic, right? Yeah. Um, when when the business is down for some reason and you're trying to restore it, you know, you, you need to be back up and running as fast as possible, which is why the backup vendors have spent so much time trying to ensure that restore is a, a, a fast job, and this throws a big wrench into it. Yeah, and, and, I, and I do believe, by the way, that, that the, let's call it legacy backup vendors, uh, this will probably be the path that many of them choose. Um, what, what we see as the kind of immediate, you know, again, I'm using air quotes here, but as the immediate solution is this kind of a restore to sandbox idea. And um, to, to be very frank, this this has this is horrible. I, um, so basically, what happens here is you restore to a, an isolated area of your data center. Uh, so there's risk of exposure because you know there's isolation and then there's isolation. Um, and then you have to manually check to make sure that the forgotten user's uh, data isn't in there, as opposed to at least with the delete and restore, the computer's doing the work. Um, so the challenge there is, again, you know, what we see is um, vendors being kind of short-sighted in that because, you know, again, they're thinking a dozen people have asked to be um, forgotten. Well, if you're dealing with thousands of people, that have asked to be forgotten, and you have to do this on every single restore, you could throw hours, if not days, uh, into the restore process. Now, I assume at some level you could probably script some of this, um, but again, then you gotta write all the scripts and you gotta maintain all the scripts. and It's just a very, very um, problematic situation, I think. Um, and so I think that that really becomes a challenge. And I still, and again, I go back to the regulation, I don't, uh, I don't know if recovering to a isolated, recovering data that you were supposed to forget to an isolated area works, right? I don't know if that follows regulation. And I think, Vicki, the big problem that I'm going to let you comment on is we don't even know, and all these two things assume that it's okay to keep forgotten users' data within the backup uh, umbrella itself. And clearly, the, 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 both regulations are at least at best unclear uh, in whether or not that's a possibility, correct? Well, and that, that is actually, um, and we talked about it before, I, I said that I find that highly problematic, that if the regulation says that you have the right to be forgotten, Imagine if you requested this and, and an organization's response was, okay, sure, 
but we're going to keep all your data until, or unless and until there's a restore, and then we'll promise to get rid of it. I'm not feeling so good about the fact that you've actually forgotten me, right? Because it's actually still, all that data is still out there on all those backup jobs. Right. So I, I, I question the fundamental premise behind both of these, that you can actually yeah. keep it until there is a restore. Yeah, and I, I would, I, I certainly wouldn't argue that point. I think that I think that's a reasonable thing to be questioning. The the, the other thing to look at, and and uh, as an option, and and this is one, frankly, that at Storage Switzerland we've done just because this was actually before we had met uh, uh, the folks at Aparavi, but is replacing um, backup with archive. So it, everything we've talked about is really a data management function. It is knowing where your data is, what's in your data, uh, you know, it's, it's being tagged properly, there's a rich uh, metadata history being developed. Well, all of that is, uh, well, I shouldn't say all, but many archive solutions have that ability. Uh, and, and so what we had to do with uh, these is not retain, we actually set the backup retention policy to seven days, uh, and then everything goes to an archive. What, what we're counting on is that Research data shows that most recoveries happen uh, from last night's backup. Um, but this still creates a problem. This gets you closer, I think. But the, the problem that you have is how do we get everything to the archive, right? And if you look at most archiving solutions, first of all, archiving solutions tend to be very siloed. Uh, there's a group of vendors that offer uh, archiving hardware in the terms of object stores or tape libraries or cloud storage, uh, and then there's the archive software guys you know, well on the other side, and you have to kind of put these things together, which is difficult. The other challenge you have is that archive software vendors, they're not backup vendors typically, and so they're not, they don't design their software to move data rapidly um, to anything. Uh, so it's uh, so you reintroduce a performance problem. The other thing you introduce now is you're also transferring data twice, right? The, the, you, you've got your backup job running, and then you've got an archive job running behind it in some form or fashion. And so, you know, you, you, there's all kinds of network impact issues. Uh, there's all kinds of concerns around that. Um, it, it's closer. But what we really need, I think, and this is what we'll kind of wrap up with here, is to integrate the two processes, right? So I think, I think it's reasonable to say, look, let's do something. We're going to put structured data, databases uh, in particular applications, uh, into their own bucket. We're going to have uh, replication and um, high availability and things like that. We might want to copy um, in the backup for long term, you know, some sort of long term strategy. But uh, specifically, what we want to focus on is is the unstructured data. And so, what we need to re actually return to is file by file backup. But Vicky, we we don't want to do that and make backup windows go through the roof again, right? And so, uh, this has to be much more intelligent than the way we used to do file by file backup in the '90s, right? Yep. And um, but 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 you're right as as well in that you know you you don't want to have to run t um, two jobs on the same set of data so you know we got to be we have to have a way to um, integrate just as you say here it's you've got to have the archive capabilities 
but you've got to integrate backup into it as, as well so that you're not running two processes and two jobs on the same set of data. Right. And, and you know, there's a, there's a saying, this mantra that's been around for a while in the industry that backup is an archive. And, and I would tend to agree with that. Uh, and that gets into that seven-year seven retention thing. But we've never said that archive can't be backup, right? And so what we're really talking about here is merging the two processes. And at the back end, you really count on rich metadata, and it really becomes more than archive. It becomes data management. And so that's the, uh, the rich metadata tracking, you know, being able to know uh, a lot more about the individual files than what we've known in the past. Uh, and then at that point, if you think about it, uh, so you know, roll back to our John Smith request. Removing John Smith from this type of arrangement is relatively straightforward. Uh, in fact, it should take seconds, if not uh, minutes, right? So it should be a, a relatively uh, straightforward process uh, to identify that person and remove them from um, that secondary uh, storage area in addition to the, the primary storage area. And, and I think that, uh, Vicki, you know, you brought up the point that the problem with um, delete on restore and uh, restore to a sandbox still may be in violation of the, the core tenet of the right to be forgotten. This is essentially totally compliant with it at that point, correct? That's right. That's right. So, so yeah, let's jump into how we're looking at yeah. this. Well, yeah, and, and so, okay. I, you know, just to kind of introduce you, you know, to, to we ran into you guys, I guess it was about the beginning of this year, really almost after we went through that one project, which was kind of brutal, and I'm like, that this is perfect, right? And so I, it, now obviously, I don't want to let, I don't want people to leave this webinar thinking that Operavi is uh, solely focused on GDPR, and I know you'll talk about that, but you guys do a lot, but it's it's really focused on this multi-cloud data management. So I'll let you run through uh, your your stuff here, and I'll come back in a little bit. Okay, great. Yeah, thanks, George. So, right, we are intelligent multi-cloud data management, and it just so happens um, that because of the intelligence that we designed into the product, that it turns out it works really well for GDPR and the right to be forgotten. Um, but it does more than than that as well. Uh, so let me let me start with just a little bit about Operavi because George said you know he he came upon us early this year. We had our formal launch of the product in May. Before that, we were um, having some early adopters, uh, you know, try out the platform and and work with them to to refine it. Um, we were founded in 2016. The company's privately funded, uh, and um, we have a SaaS-based platform, and we intelligently and actively archive unstructured data with the idea that you can not only access it and use it today, but you can intelligently keep it forever for all kinds of, of uses. So let's talk, I want to jump right in. I'll tell you more about um, the different functions that uh, Operavi can do, but I want to, I want to address this um, idea of GDPR and, and uh, that we have a completely different approach. So first of all, when we uh, bring all the data into Operavi, the files and the increments are stored as individual objects, and that's what enables us to uh, create a rich metadata um, database around what is what is in there and therefore be able to act on it. 
Um, we have a very fast upload to the cloud, uh, and I'll talk a little bit more about how, uh, what the destinations are. Um, and you can have confer configurable concurrent transfers to increase the speed and have it go very fast. But it gives you this um, granular control over the data. Uh, and we have this data classification and tagging capability that is um, based on both the content and a rich set of uh, metadata. Uh, and we actually deliver a set of predefined classifications. If you think about ones like, say, confidential or legal are good predefined ones, but they're not the only ones that um, uh, administrator can use. You can actually define your own classifications. And so that starts to get extremely rich. You can even think about them from a business standpoint to say like all, all uh, sales data is tagged, all finance data is tagged. There's just an infinite um, different ways that, uh, that you, can, you can classify your data now, which provides much greater control and access over the long term. Operavi is also fully content aware, and this is um, key to the whole GDPR piece because uh, as, the, as my, my little um, image here shows, it says, find all instances of XXX-XXX-XXXX, either a specific uh, number for, say, social security number, which doesn't cover in, in, in Europe, but is very appropriate here in the U.S., uh, and retrieve each of those. So you can have a specific instance or generic and retrieve all social security numbers. Or say find all instances of our friend John Smith who's asked to be forgotten and retrieve those. And because we are fully content aware and can do a, uh, a full content search, uh, it can do that. So you can then set store rules for storage location based on data types. So you could put all of this PII, personally identifiable information, into a particular um, destination, storage des destination, whether it be on-premises or in a particular cloud, uh, or, or other ways that you could um, modify it. Now, now, George, when you and I were talking, you thought this was quite interesting. Did you, did you want to comment on, on this data classification and, and search? Well, yeah, I think that, you know, one of my comments is if you can't find it, you haven't stored it, right? And so uh, the fact that, you know, you keep data forever, for example, if you don't know where it is or if it takes you, uh, you know, uh, uh, too long to find that data, uh, it, you, you might as well not even have stored it in the first place, right? And so uh, I, I think we're guilty of uh, storing data just in case. <laughs> and... Uh, and that's fine, but if you can't find it, then I don't know why you did it in the first place, right? So the, the classification and being able to understand what you have, where you have it, and why you have it, uh, I, I think becomes critical. Because I think, you know, we haven't talked about, we, we've obviously focused on data privacy here, but part of it is just straight out data growth. It, we're we're going to, and it's not necessarily the cost of hard disks or, or even SSDs, it's the cost of data centers. When you start to run out of floor space, um, building a new data center gets really, really expensive. Well, and, and uh, you, you can have a multiple destinations for your data, but you know, in terms of what you were just saying about if people are, are, are storing data just in case, 
Um, with Aparavi, what, what we do is we, we take what has been essentially an opaque, you know, black hole of, of data, right, those, those, those images that you don't know what is there or, or where it is, and made it um, uh, fully content aware and uh, available, essentially available for actionable insights or um, uh, specific retrieval for exactly like right to be forgotten, but other uses as well. Okay, so let's uh, let's jump on to and talk a little bit more about um, different functions and features that we have. So we offer dynamic hybrid cloud storage. So you can actually um, define any destination uh, for your for your storage. It can be on premises, um, any data path. So on premises, private cloud, or any public cloud, and you can have a multitude of them as well. Uh, and the next that I want to talk about is data centric retention policy. So um, this is that. Uh, we have automated content and metadata classification that we were just talking about that helps you to define the different classes of data and where you want it stored and how you want it want it stored. We have oh th this piece is very important. Our cloud active data pruning allows you to set retention policies at either the file or the subfile level so that in the future, should you want to um, get rid of certain data, you can. And you know, if you talk to the lawyers, they'll tell you that after a certain period of time, maybe five years, seven years, ten years, in fact, it's valuable to get rid of data. Well, Operavi allows an administrator to set policies based on what legal or compliance may be telling you for removal of data. So saving your data, protecting your data, retaining your data is really critical. But um, having an intelligent method to uh, prune and remove and delete data based on uh, company compliance rules is critical, and Operavi allows you to, to do that. We mentioned this uh, advanced archive search, so you can search by um, full content, any, anything. It can search for you know, words before, words after. Um, so it gives you a really uh, great control over what, how to use your data long term. We also have auditing reporting that gives you logs on who changed what and when, which is really valuable as you're trying to track what's happened with the data and to be able to verify that, in fact, you did execute on this right to be forgotten. So this, this is an architecture um, slide that talks a little bit about our data sources. Uh, and um, there is a software appliance uh, that, that uh, takes the data from the data sources and moves it out based on your um, policies to the various destinations. So you can have different data types go or different data sources go to different locations. Will also help you to move from one location to to the next over time based on your policies, and uh, this gives the user storage and cloud mobility. So as new cloud vendors come on the market with potentially better economics, you can over time migrate your data to from one place to the next to take advantage of that. We also have an open data format, uh, which means that there's no software or cloud lock-in. Many years from now, if you're no longer using Operavi but you had data stored, um, we give you a, a, a published format for that data so you're not 
forever locked into uh, having the application, as is typical with all your legacy vendors, uh, backup vendors. Intelligent data management, we've, uh, we've talked a bit about that, and that has to do with the classification, full content search. So we are now storing the data in an intelligent way that allows you to manage it over time. Also, we have an innovative SaaS-based model that means that you've got no upfront cost, so you don't have to uh, invest in you know, um, expensive um, enterprise license over you know, many years with this huge um, upfront cost. You can purchase as you want over time and um, grow it over time. We have an extensive partner ecosystem that we're always adding to. Uh, we can run on Windows, Linux, Ubuntu, Red Hat. Um, our storage destinations include both on-premises, such as Coringo or Scalady or Cloudian, but also the, uh, the major cloud vendors, and we keep adding to these. So uh, besides these, just keep, keep an eye. If you've got a cloud vendor that is your, is your favorite or your own private cloud that you need us to certify, it's a simple process, and we do it all day long. <clears throat> We've re recently enjoyed a bunch of recognition since launching the product earlier this year. Uh, we have gotten um, a, uh, quite a number of these you know, data storage startups to watch from Enterprise Storage and, and uh, CRN and others, and we're, we're really proud of those. So um, with that, George, I think I'd like to turn it over to you so we have time for some questions. Yes, we do. Um, and so, uh, by the way, I did want to point out that that's the Santa Monica Pier right there uh, in, the, in the picture. <laughs> we, are uh, we, we are just down from the pier. Yep. I went for when I was visiting, visiting your office. I went for a run and saw that. And I think you know. I think that's supposed to be like famous or something. So, uh, but I failed geography. Uh, so yeah, before we, so if you'll go through and prioritize a few of those questions that have come in, we do have uh, quite a few in the queue. Um, before we get to your questions, just a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, in the at the bottom of your player, there's an attachments button. You can click on that, and there's all kinds of additional information where we could, we've done a couple of deeper dives. There's also kind of an overview of the Operavi um, products, so you can get all that there. So feel free to click on those. You don't need to like register again or anything. Also, and let me let uh, me just let me just say, George, I want to I want to chime in and say that we we have a free trial as well. Um, two things: we're happy to give anybody a demo. Just um, visit the website and click on request a demo. But we also offer a free trial. So anybody who wants to check it out and uh, try it, just log in. You know, go go to our website and click on uh, Start Your Free Trial. Okay. And then if you're an on-demand viewer, we'll add a, a link to that uh, demo uh, right in the attachment section so you can uh, click right on it. Uh, from a, uh, also bef before or after the questions are done and before you leave, if you would do us a favor and give us some feedback on, on the session today, which I thought of it, star rating system, five stars uh, being the best. Uh, so. Uh, that, that is all the housekeeping. Oh, and uh, I did have a question come in. Is will the webinar be available on demand? The answer is yes. It uh, should be about five minutes after uh, we are done today. Uh, so uh, uh, you know, if you missed a section or got in late, feel free to come back and listen. Uh, if you think this information would be valuable to a colleague or a friend in the industry, uh, please capture the link. It's the exact same link that you use to come to the live event. We'll also work for the on-demand event, so feel free to send that to them. 
under GDPR laws, I'm pretty sure that's better for you to send it to them than I am. Uh, so there you go. Um, so, uh, Vicki, you ready for a, a few questions here? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's see. The um, uh, So there's one that I saw come in that I thought I want, uh, wanted to ask, and uh, I'll let you kind of uh, jump in there if, if you want to. Um, it's uh, if, if I set my current backup solution and do a file-by-file -file backup instead of an image backup, won't that cover you in GDPR? Um, no, uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, again, I'm only going within the scope of backup software solutions that I know, which I think is pretty good. Uh, you could do a file-by-file -file backup, but it still would be job-based, and you would still have trouble removing a individual set of files from within those jobs. Uh, in fact, it's probably impossible in most cases. Um, the other problem you're going to have is time. Uh, the, there's a very good reason that the legacy solutions all went to uh, image-based backups because it would take them days, literally, uh, to, uh, to to back up that uh, back up a server with a, a million or a billion files on it. Uh, the other thing, my other part of that would be um, uh, many of the modern uh, or next generation, I don't even know what I would call products brought to market after 2005 and before 2016 uh, may not even have the option to do a file-by-file -file backup. So you may want to do one, but you're not going to be able to. And even if you could, I don't think it would help you much. Um, anything you would add to that, Vicki? Um, yeah, I, I agree to, with you. And one of the things that that you know you need that we built into the solution is the ability to um, easily retrieve data wherever it is and not require the administrator to know that, right? To know which which like as you talk about it, which job it's in or where it's stored. So Operavi makes that completely seamless. You just ask for the data and and Operavi goes and finds it. You just you don't have to know where it is. There you go. Good. Um, so we've we'll, we'll we got time for a couple more questions. Um, uh, the uh, but before I do that, I want to put the contact information up on the screen. Uh, feel free to reach out to us by any of those. Uh, if you're an on-demand viewer uh, and want to ask a question, you can tweet us questions at Storage Quest. You can also email me directly. That is my legitimate email address. Uh, I do not, however, need any. Um, uh, offers for gold mines in foreign countries. I'm all set on gold mines as a speech right now. So um, let's see. The um, uh, next, let's take this question. Uh, so I, I think you touched on this a little bit, Vicki, but what on-premises uh, storage systems do you support? Um, you can actually define any data path um, and uh, and that will that that will work just fine. Um, we do. It's funny. We do talk to customers. Uh, the the divide. I'd be interested to see what 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 you say about this, George. That some customers are um, absolutely committed to the cloud and are um, you know have an active multi-cloud strategy going. Um, but it always surprises me to uh, how many are still saying. You know they have a corporate policy that they will not put data in the in the cloud. 
Um, and so for Operavi, that's perfectly fine. Many of them are setting up their own private clouds, and um, and we can we can support those or or any data path that they define. So although we market ourselves as um, enabling a multi-cloud uh, strategy, uh, and and by the way, this is just a funny aside. If you talk to to Amazon, their idea of of multi-cloud is you know S3 and Glacier, <laughs> but we don't need that. <laughs> um, but so while while we enable you to to do that, you're not restricted to that. You can um, keep everything on premises if if you like. Yeah, I, I and I'm kind of like I can argue both both points. Uh, the 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 cheapskate in me that has a ten year old car uh, says do the math uh, lease leasing or renting. Uh, 100 petabytes of storage for for the next 20 years is going to be way more expensive than owning it. Um, however, uh, you may not want to be in that space, which I get. Uh, and uh, the the other thing, like I mentioned earlier, is you do have to factor in the cost that you may run out of data center workspace at some point. And building new data centers, you think there's regulations around data. Where do you see the regulations around building a data center? Uh, plus the cost, of course. Um, let's do one last question because I think it's uh, really uh, important for the, the viewers, Vicki. Um, how does your SaaS uh, pricing model work? Uh, great. Um, we've got a variety of flexibility here. First of all, it, it's based on the amount of source data that uh, anybody is, is putting into Operavi, but we give you a variety of options. You can start with a pay-as-you-go model uh, that is just a, um, a, a monthly bill based on how much data um, Operavi is managing, or you can have preset plans that are monthly or annually. And um, our pricing model is right on our website, so we are very transparent about this. Um, and you can just uh, visit the, the website and click on pricing to see what it looks like. And as with most pricing, fast pricing models, you get a little bit of a uh, of a discount if you go to, um, say, an annual, a little bit of a discount if you're on, on monthly overpay as you go, and a little bit more of a discount on uh, on annual if you go with an annual fee. So it's very, very flexible, yeah, yeah. and it's, it's very um, OPEX, not CAPEX-centric. Uh, and what I like about it is it allows people to kind of grow into the solution, right? They, they don't have to jump in with both feet. They can kind of have you run on a, uh, a bit of their data, and then as they start to build trust and see that you can do everything yep. you said you can do, they can add to it, right? And in fact, that's what we typically see. We see typically customers will, will start with, you know, maybe a, a server or a set of servers that, that um, are primary storage for their unstructured data. And, um, you know, it could, it could be te terabytes, and it typically is many, many, uh, Many terabytes, but um, but uh, it's not the petabytes that the company has that they grow into that over time. Yeah, exactly. All right, so well, I, I, we're going to end it there. Uh, give folks uh, an extra five minutes of their day. I, I want to uh, thank everybody for attending today. Again, uh, if you want to send this uh, webinar to a friend, just same say yeah, send the same URL that you use to get in. Uh, it will take them to the on-demand event, and by the time you send that email and they receive it, the on-demand event will be available. Again, look for the attachments, and then lastly, uh, please give us feedback as you leave the uh, presentation. Vicki, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I appreciate uh, your help with the webinar. Well, thanks for inviting us.
Glad to do it. And I want to thank all of you guys for attending. Uh, for now, though, I am George Crump, lead analyst with Storage Switzerland. Thank you for joining us.